Dr. Stu's podcast with me, the best co-host in the business, the serious one, midwife extraordinaire, Bliss Young, and your host, Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. Welcome, Stu. Hi. You can reach me at askdrstuartgmail.com, <laughs> and you can reach Bliss at birthingblissmidwifery.com. Uh, yeah. Um, we are happy to be back with all of you for Fireside Chat 18. And I think it's getting cold enough. We get to go back to the fireplace. It's still 70 something. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ordering my wood. Right. I told my boys two weeks. I think we'll what be able Sean, to have what a Sean, uh, John's never us, let me. Let us back in the studio. <laughs> um, uh, check us out at com. You can find us on iTunes at, and your podcast app. Um, and he said our email already. Blah, blah, blah. We'll do the rest at the end. Good morning. Oh, okay. That's so, my first time. How did I do? Well, we'll see how it sounds when we put the music to it. <laughs> John's gonna have a, John's gonna have a really tough time editing this one, so it's good. It's so good, though. He'll do it. All right. So the first question we had was about um, <laughs> if somebody had a placenta previa and then required a DNC either for the previa or for uh, uh, I'm not sure exactly. Cesarean. Mm-hmm. Right, and she wants to know what the likelihood of that happening again was, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's slightly more than average, but still small. Yeah. But a VBAC is certainly not out of the question at all. It just really depends on where the placenta implants this time, and you'll know that by 14 weeks, by 20 weeks for sure, then you can get the green light. And if you get an opinion that says you shouldn't do it, you might want to get a second opinion. Yeah, and what I said was, you know, you want to find a provider that's VBAC supportive, um, that will, you know, really believe and trust in the process. Of course, if your placenta um, is in a good location to have a vaginal delivery, you should give it a shot. So let's, we got a lot, I got a lot to cover. Okay, today. well, then. So first of all, I want to talk about, uh, I think, um, the first that I had, because um, we had we had quite a few um, twin births. You know about those, right? So I can't remember where we left off last time. Do you remember? Um, you were waiting, actually. Yeah, well, they're all done. <laughs> you, were, you had a bunch. Right, last week, last week we should have been here, and you I wasn't have. here because I was just finishing up a twin birth. In Thousand Oaks, uh-huh. yes, I was going to do all by myself mm-hmm. because you had a day off, two days off, three days, two days, three days off, and uh, but it was great. So here's uh, we had we had I think five sets of twins in the last week, or th- or four sets of twins, and then we had a woman with diabetes and hypertension. We had a couple of transports. Mm-hmm. Um, one transport was for very interesting. She woman was thirty eight and five-sevenths weeks, and had been threatening to go into labor on the night that I was delivering the other twins, which was last Wednesday. Um, but thank God she didn't, because I was in Thousand Oaks, and she's down in Vista, California. Which is? Near Oceanside. It's mm-hmm. in San Diego yeah. County, mm-hmm. so south of Camp Pendleton. Mm-hmm. And um, so I finished the delivery, went home, took a nap, then I drove down to... Um, Dana Point, California, where we had twins a few days before that, mm-hmm. to do a postpartum visit. Mm-hmm. And while I was there, I thought, you know, I'm only an hour north of Vista. I think I'll continue to drive down. Even though I was tired, I'd been up most of the night. 
Um, and I got down there and the babies had been transverse lie for a really long time, like at least a month or two. Huh? Both babies, mm-hmm. transverse, transverse. And I figured that there's no way they're going to stay that way because, you know, they're like this. Yeah. There's no way they're going to stay that way because babies just don't stay that way. It's like bunk beds. Exactly right. <laughs> Did I tell you that term or you came up with that term? I don't know. Because that's the term that I used to describe them. Yeah. Okay. They're like bunk beds. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the baby was still transverse line, but even worse than it was transverse line, the thing that was below the baby was the umbilical cord. Okay. So, so what's the concern with that for people who don't know? Well, the concern that you go into labor and the cord falls through. Which is called? Collapsed cord. Mm-hmm. The, the, the type of cord is a funic presentation. Mm-hmm. That's what it's called. So the cord's presented. So I, I, we just had a long talk, and we all, we all agreed easily to send her to... Um, the hospital, and we talked. She could, she didn't have to go that moment, but she decided that they were going to just get the kids, other kids, taken care of, and go to the hospital. She got to the hospital a few hours later, and she was in labor. And but they, oh yeah, they did a section her. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for, she had to have a C-section. Yeah. So this is one of those things where you know we talk about how C-sections are overused. This this is a situation where a C-section saved these babies' lives. Yeah. Where it was so, indicated. Totally indicated. Mm-hmm. And it was totally fortuitous because had I not driven down there in Mercury retrograde, um, decided to go down there anyway, um, she would have gone into labor and the midwife might have come early and maybe would have checked. We, we had a plan to check her early to see because the baby was in a funny position. I'll do that. But um, I think Jax has to go outside. Jax is not Oh, he's going. Okay. So um, we had we had to. Um, it was fortuitous because if we had left her to go into labor early on her own, she could have ruptured her membranes before the midwife got there because it would have been early labor and we could have had a disaster on our hands. So that was fortuitous. And then I had um, two sets of twins born in water, which was nice. Water birth, water birth. Yeah. Before you jump into the, um, the next birth, yeah. can, I, can I segue to something? Yeah. There's a question that says, I would like to know in what circumstance Dr. Stu does not attend a twin birth. So as you're talking about these twins, maybe you could talk about what your... your oh, okay. Well, I can just, I'll just... Qualified. My, my criteria for twin criteria. births are a little less stringent than they are for breech birth, but they are... The, uh, the mom needs to make it to about 35 weeks, give or take. Mm-hmm. All right? Um, even... I've had this dilemma. It hasn't happened yet, but if somebody were going to labor at 34 weeks and five days or something... The likelihood that those babies might need nursery attention is high. But if, say, the first baby's breech or the second baby's breech, if I send them to the hospital at 34 and 5 7 weeks, they're going to get a C-section. So I have this dilemma in my head. Well, I, should I deliver them at home and then call the ambulance to take the kids to the hospital so at least the woman doesn't get a C-section? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's probably where I would lean to. I would, I would do informed consent. With them, I would even call the local hospital or whatever and talk to them um, that morning and see what see mm-hmm. what they felt was best. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, it, that would be a real dilemma. Because if there's a breach first twin, no one's going to allow her to deliver the magic. So 35 weeks plus, um, first twin needs to be either head down or in a proper breach position. Unlike my um, Vista lady, who maybe was sideways. So, uh, appropriate breach position would be? Frank or complete breach, generally. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you for helping me clarify <laughs> these things. Yeah, um, and then um, no anomalies of the babies. I don't really care what position baby B is in. Um, the babies have to be relatively, 
concordant. That doesn't mean they have to be the same size or anything like that, but they've had to be growing on their, on their same growth curve. There can't be any problems in utero. Like, well, well twin-twin transfusion syndrome would be a, a no-no. Right. Um, this would only be for mono-dye twins or dye-dye twins. Mono-mono twins are not a candidate for, for home birthing. Say that again. Mono-mono twins are not a candidate for home birthing. So when they're in the same sex. Yeah, there's a very high mortality rate early on in pregnancy and a very high rate of twin-twin transfusion in those babies. Mm-hmm. Um, labor has to start spontaneously. Mom and baby have to tolerate labor. Uh, parents have to have the right mindset. Pretty much that's it. Okay. And so there you go. Answer to your question. And then you had a couple more twin deliveries. I had three more twin deliveries. <laughs> and uh, yeah, this was all in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, two were in the water, which were gorgeous. One was posted on, on Instagram and Facebook. It went went viral, mm-hmm. sort of. Uh, not as viral as the, the twin birth with the VBAC after two C-sections, but mm-hmm. a lot of people saw that one. And that was She was great. That was just a great birth. I just stood there. With Lindsay Milas uh, down in uh, Orange County, mm-hmm. and I just I just stood there and did absolutely nothing. It was great, right? But I wanted to be in one of the pictures so I could prove that I was there. I saw the picture I know. of you in the background. Right <laughs> yeah, and my um, I'm, I'm, uh, a medical student was with me, and uh, she got to see incredible stuff. She was with me for a month. We we talked about her before, so she saw I think three or four twin births and a breech birth. Which is probably more than she'll see her in, when she starts her residency next year. Yeah. Is probably more than she'll see her in five years. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we've also we also had another twin birth up in Thousand Oaks, which went, went great. Vertex breach twins, and uh, then we had um, some a lot, a lot of sort of medical transports. We had a set of twins that got to thirty nine weeks in five days and developed preeclampsia. Uh, had a very unfavorable cervix. Was a primip. Couldn't really tolerate even a vaginal exam by the midwife. I think I might have mentioned her last time. So she ended up having a C-section. And then um, my hypertensive diabetic person uh, needed to be induced. Just because, she, yeah, she was developing worse and worse problems. She made it to 41 weeks. I hadn't been feeling comfortable, and the husband and I had known that. We talked about this was a woman who needed to come to this conclusion in her own head. And eventually she went in and she got induced. And then halfway through her induction, she ended up with a problem with her lungs and ended up having... Um, have an emergency C-section, but she's home and doing fine. So that's great. Yeah, that is great. Right. So it was a very busy two weeks. I've got a fairly easy time now. I just met two couples this weekend, a new set of twins out in the Inland Empire, mm-hmm. which is far. Mm-hmm. And even farther is I met a breach this week who's up in San Luis Obispo. I think mean, that might be the farthest. That's as far as I've gone north. Yeah, it's two hours and 40 minutes north. And uh, wow. I was real hesitant to take it, but but... They were so nice. And so you liked them. <laughs> That's a reason to take it. It's a good experience. Right. They were, they were so nice on the phone. And they and, and when they came in, and it's like, if I don't do it, they really have no choice. You know, mm-hmm. they have no choice. There's nothing for them up there. They can't. There's no one that will do a vaginal breach before they're in the hospital up there. So anyway, that's that. Before I get stuck on that, I got so much more I want to talk about today. I want to talk a little bit about Facebook. And about tech. Okay. Okay. We all sort of know what's going on with big tech. Let's see what I do with it. I have a break. Oh, why don't you go ahead and tell me about that while I find my big tech article? Have my time left? Yeah. I went, um, I had a little staycation that was much needed. Um, 
this beautiful place called Terranea, which is in Palos Verdes. So I was there for three days and it was heavenly. Um, and then I had a birth with a mom who's actually a um, midwifery student. So she studied midwifery and knows so much um, and um, had a gorgeous water birth. Um, you guys might have seen some of the images on Instagram. And um, I always hesitate, like, projecting potential issues before they're actually becoming an issue. Um, I, I think it's this um, very delicate balance. Like, let's say you did a vaginal exam on someone and you felt um, in the pelvimetry that maybe this woman was going to have a hard time delivering. Like, those kinds of things feel like... I think that woman deserves an opportunity for me not to like project those things onto her. And this particular mom had a breast shape that it's, um, they're called tubular breasts. You know what I'm talking about? They're widely spaced apart. Um, usually kind of like look more like, um, triangular shape. Sometimes the nipple is much larger than the actual breast tissue. Um, and I immediately when I saw her in the tub, because I had never seen her breast before, I had a concern that she might have issues with breastfeeding. And um, so I, I paid very close attention to the baby's latch and how the baby was nursing. And like, you know, if I needed to kind of step in ahead of time, the baby hadn't had a bowel movement, but had normal urine diapers for the first um, two days, which I had never seen a baby with meconium that had not. So I kind of said to her, I think maybe you should pump, you know? Which I never tell women. How many urine diapers? She was on track for urine, okay. but had not had a poop yeah. at all since delivery. And um, I told her to, you know, like check in with her pediatrician. And then when I came for the visit, I brought milk with me. And I said, I wanted to talk to you. You know, have you, do you know anything about the shape of your breasts? And she said, oh, yeah, I've like, you know, been teased about it or like whatever. And I was like, did you know that sometimes you can have breastfeeding issues? And she was like, I had no idea. And, you know, it's just that delicate balance. And I'm like, I brought milk. I think we can see how it's going to go, but you might need to supplement. You know, we might need to involve an LC. Um, and I think in her mind, she was like, oh, it's fine. I'm already seeing milk, but we are finding that um, she's having low milk supply issues. And, and what the lactation consultant said is with consistent pumping and, and being really um, kind of on that two-hour schedule that we usually do for really little babies for a month or so, that she might get anywhere from 20 to 50% of the milk that the baby needs. So I just thought that was really interesting, especially like someone, I don't, you know, she sent me an article. She said, this is exactly how I feel. I've been seen by so many people over my lifetime for healthcare, and no one's ever mentioned that this could have been an issue for me. Um, so it's just kind of like I'm well, trying why to. Do, why do you think that is? I have one this, but why do you think that no one's ever mentioned that to me? I don't know. Well, what kind of healthcare practitioners are she talking about? Just you mean normal? Normal, normal doctors probably don't even, don't even know that. That it's, an, that it's a thing? Yeah. yeah. A gynecologist? Or? Really? I didn't have a single class on breastfeeding in, in, eight, in eight years of. Uh, Medical school and residency training. So when you do breast exams on someone, you would never like someone who's planning a pregnancy or something. You wouldn't even. No, which I think. Well, no, it's it's like you're maybe, maybe one thing. yeah, yeah. You have blinders on. You're checking for cancer. Yeah. Now and also in the medical model, 
sometimes there isn't really time necessarily to go off on a tangent, you know, in the, in the model where you're, you know, you're given, you're allowed eight minutes for a mm-hmm. annual exam. Mm-hmm. And breastfeeding in, my, in the residency program is, oh, you're having a problem breastfeeding? Let's call the lactation consultant. Right. Yeah. Right. That's, that's, that's how, we, how we did things. It wasn't very... So I'm just, like, evaluating, like, how I might want to alter my practice because there's a part of me, like, I've had women with short nipples before, or, you know, like, um, inverted nipples that I, you know, didn't necessarily know until she was already breastfeeding. There's part of me that wants to, you know, offer an exam earlier, but then at the same time, it's that same thing I was talking about in the beginning is like giving someone concern. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting. Our, our, my fellow obstetrician colleagues have no trouble doing that. We've talked about it so many times on the podcast. Yeah. Oh, you know, your, your husband's so big and you're so small. Oh, you're over 35. I mean, you're just throwing these things out there that probably don't mean anything. So you do have to figure out a, a, a way to walk that line. Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell this woman when you meet her at 10 weeks that she's going to have a problem, that she may very well have a problem breastfeeding? Mm-hmm. How will that change anything during the pregnancy? Right. Maybe when you get closer, you could mention that, the, that you know, maybe toward the end of the pregnancy. Yeah, like it. towards the end, I think I could probably, you know, offer a, a breast exam to kind of like talk about potential. What would you look for? On exam? Would you um, try to squeeze to see if colostrum comes out? What would you do? No, the shape of the breast. Yeah. Um, also talking about um, breast surgery, which sometimes comes up in conversation because we talk about previous surgery. So, or sometimes a mom offers it, but you know, I don't necessarily always talk about that. Um, and then um, also uh, nipples that are inverted or really flat. Yeah. You know, just having something ahead of time. Um, prepared for that, you know, just, just little things or having a lactation consultant already kind of picked out in case you need. And we have like 48 hours probably, but yeah, it's it's one of those things I'm kind right. of what are, what, what are, what are, What's the best things to do for a woman who's got an inverted nipple or a flat nipple? Um, she may need to use a shield. How does that work? The shield itself? Yeah. Um, How does it make the nipple pop up? It it um I think it's from the pressure of sitting in in the bra. Yeah. Um, kind of pushes on everything and there's a little hole in the middle. Mm-hmm. Really. And then there's also a little device like it has like a little like a like a what do you call that when the nose thing that you do with babies bulb has like a little oh. bulb on it. Oh, bulb. And then a, a slant so that it can pull um the nipple. No, there's another little device that does that. Um, She could put on a haka, which might help a little bit, or a breast pump. A haka is for those those men listening. A haka is like a, it's not manual. It doesn't pump. It just kind of sits on and uses suction. It's a newer one that can go on the opposite breast, but also just like a little bit of like just tweaking the nipple like you would if you were stimulating it, you know? Yeah, to like kind of pull it out. But some women are so inverted that it takes the baby really like working it and it takes some time for it to come out. Um, so there are, there are some tips and tricks and little. Yeah. Well, it's, it's always a tough tightrope to walk when you meet somebody who you don't think it, um, you know, when I meet a person who comes in, who's highly motivated, but maybe um, highly type a uh, likes to control things um, 
is a challenging patient who challenges you a lot with everything that you say, really wants to have this, but then starts to go post-dates or uh, starts to develop a secondary problem. Like if you have a diabetic who starts to develop hypertension and stuff, and you, you sort of want to say, you know, this is starting to make me feel uncomfortable, but do I really want to say to a patient that I'm starting to feel uncomfortable? That's a little bit difficult to do too, because some of those patients will go on and deliver. Mm-hmm. But you, but when you practice as long as I have, and as long as you, you're getting there now, you get a sixth sense for people that are going to go. And, and I know, I remember walking into a, re, a patient's recently for her home visit of 36, 37 weeks with a midwife. And as we're walking back to our cars afterwards, the midwife looks at me and she goes, I don't see this birth happening here. Mm-hmm. She would never say that to the client. Yeah. All right. Should we say that to the client? No. No. Okay. I, don't, I try not even to like but you, let but, those but ideas but come the, in. The times that a midwife has said that to me, I think they've been right every time. Really? Yeah. Well, they have something that I don't because I try not to. Or well, they don't say they just say it to me. Or afterwards. it's a self fulfilling prophecy. You go in with doubts about this person, and then it kind of like feeds into the you know. Yeah, it's a chicken chick and the egg thing. Which one yeah. came first? Yeah. Okay, did the doubts come first, or did the doubts come because of the yeah. characteristics? Yeah, it's a interesting question. Okay, anyway. so um, I'm going to briefly talk about Facebook because. Facebook. Last week, I put a post on... And Instagram or just Facebook? Just Facebook. Okay. Last week, I put a post on Facebook on my Dr. Stuart Fishbein page about a group of doctors who came out with a, with a um, declaration trying to end, trying, recommending that end the lockdown. All right? That the lockdown is doing more damage than it's not. And um, if people are interested in reading what well, for mostly was cordial, but the divisiveness that we have in our country... And how and how some people and maybe I'm, I could be included in some of my comments because I got snarky a couple of times, but they tried not to because I tried to very well keep it in line. But I want to read how people use logic and how people argue and how people get off topic. Um, and every time somebody would go off on a, a tangent about mask wearing, I would say it's not about mask wearing; it's about ending the lockdown. And I have to bring them back. What were you talking about? What were you ending the lockdown? You were just you were just. It was a, it was a declaration that I signed oh. that I posted. I wanted other people to consider reading it and signing it. Oh, okay. a petition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not even a petition, really. It's just putting your name to something. They have like forty thousand doctors that have signed it mm-hmm. worldwide and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, I don't want to say the name on on um, Facebook Live because then they, I might get shut down. Shut down. Mm-hmm. So. Even look at my video just went off. <laughs> Coincidence? I don't think so. Right. So I mentioned the word Facebook and, uh, and censored, and then I did censor Facebook. Could somebody just t- send me a text, a uh, message on, on the live thing that you can still see me? I'd appreciate that. This happens every single time. I have no idea why. Anyway, but it was really an interesting exercise. There were people in it that I've known for years who got who called me an idiot. They said I'm a disgrace to my profession um, because I have a different opinion. I, opinion than I do. That mask wearing is is not not that big a deal, okay? Even though, you know, you know, my opinion, it is a big deal when you're wearing a mask on a trail. It shows that you're fearful, and also you don't you never see people's faces anymore, which I think is a big deal. Um, thank you, Jennifer. Um, and kids don't see other kids' faces. Babies don't see their grandparents' faces. 
people aren't visiting. I mean, there's a lot of issues that go on with it. And, they, and then they, they say something like, well, if you're not wearing a mask, it's just selfish. You hear that. You've heard that argument. Mm-hmm. So my argument is if you're, if you're pro a lockdown that isn't doing anything that's hurting people, maybe you financially are fine, but many, many, many people are not financially fine. Why isn't that selfish? Why isn't you promoting your position because you have a family member who died of COVID or you, you yourself have comorbidities or you're worried. So you're going to say that everyone should stay locked down because of this reason. That's not selfish, but me not wearing a mask on the hiking trail is selfish. All right. I'm not talking about a mask. And look, I was very clear. It's not about going into the grocery store and stuff like that, which I still think is not necessarily smart either. But, and then I always get back to that same argument that if masks work and you're wearing one, then why do you care if I'm wearing one? The whole thing. And then they say, well, two masks works better than, than one. And it's like, well, then wear two masks. I mean, and does anybody think that, that a piece of cloth over your face is actually protecting you from viral particles? I mean, there's no data. Even in the CDC, the World Health Organization now is going to come out against lockdowns. And yet you have... The World Health Organization is? Against lockdowns. Mm-hmm. They finally come around and said that they're doing more harm than good. So I put this out there, and it's really interesting to see the passions of different people. So if you want to, if you want to read a thread that's relevant that, and the people that you know are on it, Go to Dr. Stuart Fishbein OBGYN Facebook page. It's not the podcast Facebook page. And then and just read it. There's like 180, probably over 200 comments by now. Mm-hmm. And then there's comments on the comments and on, and on it goes. Um, but it's a big problem because, because what's happening is that big tech, if you anybody that's following the news, you may have been out of the news because you took the time off. The following big tech is following the fact that they're censoring ideas or or positions that they disagree with, not necessarily because they're false, but because they don't like them. And so there's this, been this big te- big call to rein in big tech. They have this thing called 230 protection, which makes them a platform, makes them not liable. And there's been a call to repeal that so that people can sue them if they're uh, you know wrongly shadow banned or canceled on social media. I've had posts that have had put warnings on I don't care if they put a, I don't care if they put a warning on. I just think I wish they'd apply them equally. They put warnings on things that they don't like, and then they put warnings on things that they, you know, that you know they'll put warnings on something they say is fake. But then they'll, but then if it's fake about somebody that they don't like, then that can stay up forever, mm-hmm. right? Sort of like Yelp does that too. I mean, Yelp, if you put something bad up on Yelp, now you can just label somebody a racist on Yelp. You've heard? Did we talk about that last time or not? No. Yeah, Yelp has a new thing now that if you feel like you've been treated be racially discriminated, you can let Yelp know they'll put a warning up on that website, which means that anybody who didn't get the right uh, amount of latte in their cocoa latte, blah, 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 and was black, was served by a white person, you can say that they're racist, and that's going to destroy that business on, on, on an accusation. This is very dangerous. Orwellian. Yeah, this is very, yeah. very dangerous. Yeah. Anyway, so I was thinking that I was all for this banning uh, or getting rid of this 230 protection for big tech. But then I read an article in the Wall Street Journal, an opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal, which was actually quite good. And um, it, it talks about banning the, the 230 protection, and but it says no one is thinking through the consequences of mucking with Section 230. All right? First, if we repeal 230, we'll end up with more censorship. You know why? Okay. No. Because if platforms are suddenly liable for everything that's posted... The knee-jerk reaction will be to take down everything that's questionable. Okay? Mm-hmm. Leaving us with a giant receptacle of baby shark videos. 
<laughs> what they said. This is in the Wall Street Journal, so it's great. But so that's stage two thinking. Stage one thinking is they're being really mean. They're, they're banning the Joe Biden story or they're banning something or they're promoting something or whatever else they're doing. And we need to rein them in and get really mad at them. That's stage one thinking, which I talk about all the time, because it feels like that's going to feel good for those people that are pissed about what Facebook and Twitter and, and uh, Google are doing, how they Google will, you know, will lower your, your visibility in the search engine and put you on page seven of the search, which means no one's ever going to possibly see you. Mm -hmm. Right. But stage two thinking is thinking, well, what if we, put, what if we institute this? All right. Well, these big companies are going to then say anything that's controversial, I'm going to ban. And maybe it'll be banning on both sides, but that's not really what we want from a platform. What we want from a platform, what we want from our Facebook situation and stuff like that is, is, um, to be able to see diversity. Yes. To get diversity, <laughs> to get diversity of views. Yeah. To really be able to hear how people are thinking and what, what different opinions are coming through and not just funneled, just like the news has been in, um, you know, we're getting curated uh, representation of what people think and how things are ha really happening. So shout out to this reporter, Andy Kessler, for writing this op-ed. He says, there's no simple way to fix Section 230 either. The feds could require nonpartisan, balanced views. What's wrong with that? Nothing. Yeah, there is. Oh. Who decides what's balanced? Oh. You're always going to get that. Mm -hmm. All right? Mm -hmm. You know, you get back to the Ministry of Truth from, uh, from Orwell. Mm -hmm. We'd be back to where we started. Any fix would open a can of worms of special interests, maybe even a new digital diction department staffed by justice warriors deciding which phrases are no longer acceptable, like master bedroom or sexual preference. And then the law would get larded with special exemptions. The thinking would be, let politicians say what they want for democracy's sake, but protesters should also get a pass depending on their grievances. And it would never end. On and on it would go. Mm -hmm. The only real solution is transparency, which is hard to legislate, but not impossible. If you have community standards, I want to see them chiseled in stone. Tell us. Don't let Mark Zuckerberg flip-flop on, we're not going to ban this, oh, we're banning this, we're not banning this, we're banning this. We need transparency on shadow banning and other restrictions like demonetizing. Each banning action, like removing doctors' COVID advice from YouTube, must come from a specific explanation, else leave the post up. If, if that's too hard, deserve... Oh. oh, if that's too hard, they don't deserve a billion-dollar valuation or, or this benefit of this 230 protection. The genius of Section 230 is that it is vague. It's created a set of rules for the sandbox and then let creativity abound. Sure, if a dog gets into the sandbox, you want to clean it up. But not being specific and leaving it to the sandbox owner, we've allowed the interconnection of billions of people in a planetary network where new ideas, some good, some bad, fly around the globe at the speed of light. Let's not screw that up. Yeah, I mean, if we go back to, like, uh, freedom of speech, right? Like, before there was internet, when people were allowed to just... Yeah, other than yelling fire in a crowded theater or, or inciting people to violence, we really didn't have any restrictions on what you can say in the public square. But now we have people controlling the public square. Right. It's, you know, I heard an analogy. It's like, here's the public square out here in front of your house. Some big rich guy buys up all the real estate here and says, oh, this is no longer your public square anymore. Only I can tell you what you can say in in this public square. That's sort of what's happened. Mm -hmm. And because it's a monopoly, so to speak, I mean, you have DuckDuckGo and you have Bing, 
but does anybody really search on DuckDuckGo or everybody just Googles? Yeah. I mean, it's become a noun. Yeah. Or her, her man now, Dr. Google. Don't use Dr. Google. Um, okay. All right, so I just wanted to put that out there. All right, a couple quick questions before we go on to the next one. Somebody wants to know, I bought the butterfly IQ for home birth midwives. I think that we talked about that in a previous one, but I think it would be a great thing. It's like 2000 bucks. It hooks to your iPhone, I believe. Right. It's a little probe that goes to your iPhone. It's an ultrasound. Oh, uh-huh. And for, for like right now, I, I, did a, I did an external version on a woman this week, last week, which was really exciting because my student got to see it. Dr. Flores, who's in, who's a new OB in Southern California, is going to start doing home births, got to, got to participate. And it was really a teamwork between the two of us. And we got it done. So we went to a bonding moment for the two of us, which was great. Right. Um, so then, so then she goes back. I give her a binder. She goes back up to Bakersfield, and, and she sees her doctor in Bakersfield, who the sense I get from the midwife was sort of pissed that the woman went someplace and got the baby turned because he just wanted a section of her breech. Mm-hmm. So she's because she's had two previous C-sections, mm-hmm. so no one's going to touch her. They wouldn't allow her to have a vaginal delivery. So he tells her that the baby is not vertex anymore, and that she should still schedule her section. That the baby's sideways or transverse. All right. Mm-hmm. Instead of telling her one, well, if you had a successful version before and the baby is transverse, we can easily push that baby back down there again. Mm-hmm. All right. Or two, you know, let's get an ultrasound and make sure because when she went to the midwife the next day, apparently she palpated the head in the pelvis. So you think I don't know. Wow. Don't know. Wow. Well, if the midwife had had the butterfly IQ, she would just popped it on yesterday instead of calling me and me telling her she. You know, you might want to find a quick ultrasound up there from a nonpartisan person and, and just, yeah, you know, just go pop, yeah. pop it on, and yeah. then boom. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I think they can only see our heads here. Can we lower that to a turn that a little bit? No, they can see us. It's just this thing is up. Oh, oh, that was yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. oh, I didn't see all the questions. <laughs> yeah, I was all just right. scrolling. Okay, then, uh, so that was Astrid's question. So, yeah, I think I think it makes sense if you've got, I think it's 2000 bucks. So, there we go. Uh, and then Leela asks, masks on birthing people and partners at birth is the hardest moment. Interested in seeing the studies on development of golden hour for newborn during you, you know, there are no studies, and, and it's ridiculous. The idea that a woman lives with her husband, sleeps with her husband, kisses her husband, all right, but can't have her husband in the ultrasound room when she has her 20-week scan, or he has to wear a mask when they've both been swabbed, usually before they go into a hospital nowadays, they're swabbing people that are going in. They get, but he has to wear a mask still in the room with his wife in labor. It's insane. It's insanity. It is. It makes absolutely zero sense. Right. If he wants to protect himself from maybe all the people in the hospital and wants to wear a mask voluntarily, right. fine. Mm-hmm. But to mandate that he wears a mask in his, in his wife's labor room when he's been swabbed half an hour beforehand, I think it takes about 30 minutes to get the results back now. It's probably, by the way, which is amazing tech. Yeah. You know, when we first started, it was like two weeks and it wasn't yeah. even that reliable. Now yeah. tech is really... It'd be really great if we could get them. We can't? You can't get them? I, I, I haven't I don't looked into it. I don't think so, but that would be nice if we could. Um, Jessica said, also, when you're nine months pregnant, I've been shamed for taking a breath and accused of putting my newborn baby at risk. 
no breathing. All right. Without your mask. Yeah. I saw some. Um, you know, your newborn baby's going to go home and it's then you're not going to wear a mask. What are they talking about? I saw these little tiny people going to preschool with their masks on. And that just, it's hard for me to think about these yeah. kids wearing masks all day. Jennifer says it's a viral load and immune system thing. Yeah, it's a viral load in an enclosed space for a period, for a concentrated period of time. You don't get coronavirus walking outside. And you certainly don't get coronavirus from two people who don't have coronavirus. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, all right. Another, another um, sort of. Can I, can I say something? Yeah, sure. I'm on a, I'm on a, I'm on a doctor, stupid doctor role thing, but that's okay. Um. So, um, I, I was on a chat with some of my midwife colleagues, and we were comparing notes about um, protocols having to do with um, if a mom tested for GBS in her urine early in pregnancy and then transferred into care. How would we? Yes, 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 yes. Do you have that, something about that, that? That was a letter. Oh, go ahead and read did it. You, did you get the, Oh, you didn't? No, no, this is just oh a my, conversation. Oh, my God. All right. All right. Yeah. So, uh, I even put must read oh, today. Look at synergy. Okay. Synergy. So, this is from Jackie. So, Jackie, if you're listening someplace or um, on um, drstewspodcast.com. Yeah, she on your app, she's on your a listener. Thanks for joining us. Right. Um, just getting started with some of your early recordings. I jumped around a bit sometimes, even listening to some newer episodes and I've enjoyed the topics and banter you and Bliss share with listeners. I'm pregnant with number two and going for a VBAC. My first birth was a cesarean due to breach. <laughs> I hope you experience more optimal fetal positioning late in pregnancy as vaginal breach delivery providers and VBAC at that are not abundant. No, they're not abundant, but you can find one even if you have to what? travel. <laughs> well, no, there are people like, you know, Dr. Brock would do that. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Dr. 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 Brock. Cole would do that in Ventura. That's 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 it. That's, that's it. That's it. it. No, there are probably more. I just don't know who they all are. Okay, I recently changed providers and shift to a birthing center rather than do it rather than with a CNM in a hospital. I was felt give, I felt I was given a list of all things I couldn't do in a VBAC attempt, and knew they would be unnecessary uphill battles in the hospital. That was that was they were saying. They gave her that 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 negative thing that we talked about at the very beginning. You know, here's what could happen. What could happen? What could happen? So. Um, with that being said, my first provider did call me and inform me GBS was detected in my urine. Yeah. My boy. I have been doing some research on the topic and haven't yet come across a podcast where this is a topic you all have discussed. I think we did discuss GBS once before, but I, I have no idea what the title of that podcast would be. Forgive me if it's out there and I haven't listened. You're forgiven. So I will have to listen to newer episodes if there's no... Oh, we're replying to now. Anyway, I'm wondering about how y'all... I love it, y'all. She got it from the south. Yeah. I'm wondering about how we all typically handle mothers with GBS outside a hospital setting. I am reading anecdotal stories of mothers claiming to have eradicated the bacteria with a series of approaches. I have upped my quality probiotic fermented foods and vitamins, but I'm curious if a positive result can be truly reversed or are all these approaches just temporarily tricking the system. Does GBS positive only matter at the time of birth or should I have additional concerns it was detected in my urine so early in pregnancy? I would appreciate it. And all thoughts, I'd like to avoid antibiotics. Thanks for reading my letter. All right. So you had a question about that. So I want to hear what you have to say as a doctor, and then I'll tell you what I think. Well, as a doctor, everyone needs to get antibiotics and get induced in 39 weeks. 
<laughs> You're not a doctor anymore? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm a hybrid. Don't you understand? I'm a genetic mutant. I love it. Right. Yeah, because I'm an X-Man. Mid-doc. Mid no, I'm an X-Man. With Magneto and Wolverine and, and me. That's my special power. Vaginal breach delivery. <laughs> I gotta get a T-shirt. Come to me. This is excellent. Okay. Um, so my reading is that GBS is positive in about seventeen percent of women uh, culture. That it's not a pathogen in adults. It doesn't cause strep throat or that. It's not that strep. So um, initially, when I came out of residency and do almost most of my first years in practice, and certainly in my early years of home birthing, I thought that they needed to have antibiotics, and so that was my recommendation. And then I began to read other things talk to other people, go to some conferences and learn that, you know what, the risk is, is small and I have a consent form for it and I, and I meant to print that out and I didn't print that out because I was going to print that out plus the herbal remedies. I can pull it up on my phone, but that's, can't read my phone, it's too small. So I will just say that, that if somebody wants herbal remedies for GBS or wants to read my consent form, um, I can either have Renee, add a link on the show notes, or you can just email me at askdrstew at gmail.com, and I'll send them to you. I think it'd be nice if it was on the show notes. But the, but the, <laughs> the risk is about, I think about something like one, one in 200 or one in 400 or something of a baby with a mother who's positive GPS, whose mother does not get antibiotics, of the baby getting sick, really sick, potentially. So that's a half of 1% to a quarter of 1%. So it's still... Not this big number that people talk about, but if it happens, it can be quite serious. Um, and, and antibiotics. Shake it down to something like one in 4,000. Is that the number that rings the bell for you? Maybe. Mm -hmm. Something like that. So it decreases it like, what, tenfold. Mm -hmm. All right. So it makes it, it makes it almost not. But then, of course, you have the risk of what, you know, what are the risks of giving antibiotics in labor? Okay. Yeah. yeah, well, to everyone or to women. You know, and, and my feeling about that is, is interesting because my feeling about that in the hospital setting is it's more it's it's more risky to give antibiotics in the hospital setting because the baby's more likely to be exposed to hospital-based bacteria rather than mother's vaginal bacteria or skin flora if the mother's been on antibiotics for a couple, two, three, four doses of yes, antibiotics. This is not Where at home, with the woman's in the water or she's in her home environment anyway, giving antibiotics at home seems to me less of a risk because the baby's still going to be in the same home, skin to skin with dad. Uh, you know, in, if you're in the tub, it's going to be born in the, in the water, which sort of dilutes things out anyway. So I'm not, a, you know, if you're going to give antibiotics at the home, I'm not as worried about it as if you're going to give it in the hospital. But then the question is, do you really want to give antibiotics? Mm -hmm. And if someone has GBS in their urine, they're at risk at that point of being colonized the entire pregnancy. And even if you get a negative culture later, does that really mean? Because we know it's a transient bacteria. We know it's in your household. We know it comes and goes. And so I think the thinking is that if you test positive once, it really doesn't matter that you test negative. Um, but it certainly does affect the counseling. Because uh, I think like viruses and viral load, I think bacteria, if you can lessen the bacteria, the colony counts, so to speak, um, by using some of the herbal remedies, um, some of the other things that, that are recommended in those handouts that you have, that I have, um, then not choosing to get antibiotics is probably a reasonable choice. I believe in informed consent. Right. So this is the conversation that I was having with my midwife friend. 
because obviously in the hospital, you have a much harder time declining antibiotics than hopefully you do with midwives because my belief understanding is that midwives work on informed consent. So there's a local birth center. Um, I'm not going to mention any names, but um, they, if you don't get antibiotics, you can't birth with them. And so to me, that just feels like, um, like we're not really giving informed consent. No, we're, 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 we're reverting back to the pressure of hospital-based birth. Yeah. Right. And, you know, obviously the person who owns this birth center has a right to do whatever makes them feel comfortable. It's her birth center. But it does, um, it does make me question, like, what are, what are we really doing if we're not really giving people a choice? You have a risk of what you say, one in 200, which is a, a percent, a portion of 1%. one percent. And you're telling those people. Yeah. You're telling those people that they don't have choice over something like that. If that, I have a real issue with that. And what I started to think about was, if that's true, if that's your philosophy as a midwife, then, you know, what she said was, then you could go to the hospital and be in the hospital for two days, which makes me feel like that's kind of bullying. If you tell a woman who's in your care, who's at the end of her care, if you don't want to get antibiotics, you're welcome to go to the hospital and be in the hospital, which they probably force her to. But why not, similar to what you've said before about providers, if someone's not comfortable with doing a breach delivery, tell people that there are other people who are willing to do breach deliveries. If you're not comfortable with giving a woman option about antibiotics, tell her that there are other midwives in the community who probably would give her an option to not use antibiotics if that was her choice. So in terms of the urine um, being a risk factor, it is. And what I tell people, the standard of care here in the States is that you would get um, antibiotics in labor every four hours, hopefully at least one dose prior to delivery, if you can time that. Um, in Europe, they don't even test because it's a migrating bacteria. It comes and it goes. So we don't have a, a rapid swab like we do now for COVID, which would be great if we could swab the vagina in delivery and know if it was present at that moment. Um, but we don't have that. So in Europe, they they base it on risk factors. And having GBS in the urine at any point in pregnancy is one of those risk Doctors. So I would counsel my mom and let her know this increases the risk of your baby getting sick. So the, here are the statistics and then let her decide what she wants to do. And then we would watch the baby like we do all babies and make sure that they weren't showing any symptoms and didn't need additional. Yeah, you'd like to prevent them from getting it rather than treating them once they do get it. But, well, yeah, but, but that's but, not but the, my but choice. The, yeah, the European way makes a lot more sense to me. They do treat risk factors. Risk factors are premature rupture of membranes, GBS in the urine. Baby yeah, mother with fever, um, fetal tachycardia. I mean, fetal, baby. Preemie, baby, premature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those mm-hmm. sorts of things, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I like that. It, it's, it's probably more cost effective too than doing swabs and everything. So anyway, okay, that's our two. So that was the question. Four cents. Right. So that was a GBS in urine question. Did you? Was there another question there, or should I go to my uh, another obtuse doctor uh, person? Okay, so. Hello from Costa Rica. Yay! Is that, is that a vacation in Costa Rica or is that? Here in Costa Rica, it's difficult. The state oh, is there. severe with the new rules. Of course they are. Um, Costa Rican women are under a huge propaganda of 
year. Is I'm assuming there? that you're talking about COVID. Um, yeah. 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 Well, welcome from Costa Rica. I've been to Costa Rica two years ago. It was awesome. Yeah, it's one of those reasons why we have to, we, we, you know. If people are worried, like in Costa Rica, there's the government puts huge pressure on them. Then I'm I'm trying to stay apolitical. Most of you know my political leanings, but why in like God's name would you vote for somebody who wants to make your government bigger? Okay, just leave it at that. All we right. did that. We've got five minutes. All right. Okay. So this um, this is a patient of <clears throat> midwife Renee's. Who sent it to me because she was told that. Her, um, this woman's baby was IUTR by our favorite institution here in Southern California. Kaiser. Kaiser Permanente. Kaiser right. Permanente. They were told that the baby's IUGR because the baby's femur length was less than the 10th percentile and the abdomen was close to the 10th percentile. And um, that that's, that's IUGR. Now, we had this talk in the podcast recently yeah. about IUGR is really not the size of the baby. IUGR is falling off the growth curve because some babies are going to be in the fifth percentile and they're going to always be in the fifth percentile. Okay. So she sent it to me for a second opinion. Right. Great. And of course I scan the baby and the baby's uh, femur length is less than the first percentile. All right. Mm-hmm. And the baby's head circumference is in the second percentile. And the baby's abdomen's in the eighth percentile. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the baby's small, mm-hmm. but the baby's biophysical profile is perfect. Maybe it's an AF, uh, amniotic fluid index of 19, has fetal breathing, fetal movement, fetal tone. 34 weeks. So this is not, this is not a, a 34. So this is not a, a baby that's in distress. Growth-restricted babies, the, one of the first things that happens, it means it, it implies placental insufficiency, unless there's a genetic reason. All right? And this woman, uh, let's see if she had the NIP testing. I can't remember. Um... Usually I write that down. I don't know in my history if she had it or not. Um, nonetheless, okay. uh, we knew that there, we didn't we didn't think there was anything genetically wrong with the baby. So the baby's just small, all right. So the first thing I do when I think when I hear this story before I even scan the woman is I'm saying, hmm. he's five foot eight, she's five foot four. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they're, they're really little people. Mm-hmm. All right. So I scan the baby. The baby's per- per- perfectly proportional for its baby. It has a great biophysical profile. So my recommendation afterwards was uh, likely normal interval growth and consistent with previous pregnancy history. Uh, over for her first baby was. Um, six pounds, 12 ounces. Mm hmm. Okay, so it was consistent with her previous history, had a biophysical profile of 8 out of 8, and not, not true IUGR. Um, oh, hi, uh, how, uh, the patient reports normal Kaiser genetic screening protocol. So Kaiser, they don't do the NIPT. Mm-hmm. They still do the quad screening, the first trimester, second trimester, nuchal translucency thing. Yeah. Not sure why, they just don't acquiesce to it. The, the chest has gotten cheaper and cheaper, I think, the... Um, and IPT test. A lot of doctors are doing both. Okay, so I put baby is not IGR, but most consistent with parental body habitus. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Plan, routine prenatal care, no need for specific plan ultrasound follow-up unless clinically indicated, which is what I usually write. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the usual parameters, if you receive a copy of her 30-week scan, please forward it to me because I didn't have a copy of that. 
you want the scan from a month before. Mm -hmm. So then, so then um, this was done on uh, a week later, I get a letter from a copy of a letter that was sent to the patient by her Kaiser doctor and says, hello, Mrs. So-and-so. This is a communication from our maternal fetal medicine doctor. The ultrasound you obtained outside of Kaiser documents small for gestational age and evolving IUGR. So basically saying that my ultrasound, I'm assuming that's my ultrasound, documented that. Mm -hmm. Again, I, I, you know, I, I guess I should just send him the article. I should just anonymously mail them the article about how you define IUGR. Why anonymously? I don't know. Good point. <laughs> you talked about not being anonymous. Just, Good point. Yeah. His okay. measurements show the baby in the 10th percentile, 7th percentile when looking at the AC. Be aware that this is a high-risk situation which could result in fetal demise. Mm -hmm. Fetal intolerance of labor and complications related to being an inappropriate candidate for a birthing center. Contact me if you'd like me to assist in setting up these follow-up appointments with the doctor, MFM doctor, which include weekly, sorry, which include weekly appointments with a doctor here and evaluation of the fetus by fetal monitoring, weekly ultrasounds to evaluate Doppler resistance, and uh, uh, let's see, did it say weekly biophysical profiles? Oh, yeah, week, weekly and fetal monitoring. So, by the way, the, the gold standard for fetal monitoring is it's good for about 72 hours. So, if you're doing it weekly, you're not even doing it enough. You're not doing it according to so the you're, you're sort of So, you're sort of saying, I'm not really that worried, but we'll do it weekly anyway. Mm -hmm. So, you're already contradicting yourself. Mm -hmm. sort of. So, she rightly writes, my recommendations are as follows. Maternal fetal medicine ultrasounds weekly for Doppler evaluation. NSTs one time per week. And weekly continuity MD prenatal visits. I do not recommend the patient deliver at a birthing center. Message it forward to her OB. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe I will send them a copy of that. Yeah. Okay, remind me to do that. Okay, I will. I'll put, I'll put that over here. <laughs> anyway, the whole idea is that 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 letter and what the, you know, what the Costa Rica mom was saying about fear. I mean, we get to this every time. Fear, 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 fear. Right. This baby was perfectly fine. Was moving around, a great environment. The mother is five foot four. The father is five foot eight. What are you expecting? Yeah. A baby in the 50th percentile? Yeah. That's an unreasonable expectation. I don't think people, this has happened to me many times where I've seen a, a second opinion for people where the baby's got, you know, like shorter arms or shorter legs, not short enough to be considered to be a, a, a dwarf, mm -hmm. that, that sort of thing. I've seen that before too. I picked that up. Mm -hmm. But shorter. And they're, they're, they're less than the first or second percentile, but, but they're not terribly short. And, and you just look at the parents. Yeah. Yeah, yeah common sense. Right? Yeah. They're common sense. So I've got to get into my, um, oh, I think it cut us off already. Oh, all right. On my end. Is um, it past 11? Oh, yeah, it is. Oh, yeah. okay. i got to get to my community. Oh, man. I had I some dark news. And I had a letter of support for the birth center idea, which we'll get to next time. Yeah. And then I had a fluff letter for Dr. Stu. Well, we have a lot to talk about next week. Please join us. And a tragic story. <laughs> and then a feel-good story. Really cute baby. Cute baby. Yeah. All right. So I had all this stuff that we didn't get to today. And uh, I do apologize for being a few minutes late. Okay. Uh, I, had something, I was doing something very important. Did you want to talk? Want to guess? Hiking? Sleeping. Uh, all I could think of. No, no, God. <laughs>
No, God. Yeah, I, 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 that's like too much information. I, 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 do you want to talk? No, no, no. <laughs> you I, were sleeping I, I got up early, like mm-hmm. I always do. Mm-hmm. And then I realized I didn't have anything until 10 o'clock. So I laid back out, figuring my internal clock would wake me up. Yeah. And it didn't. Yeah, you're almost always on time. So yeah. you are totally forgiven. Hopefully you'll join us next week. It sounds like we have a lot to talk about. Um, yeah, check us out at drstewspodcast.com. Of course, if you're, if you're seeing this now, but for all our other podcasts, you can. This is where this one will be archived in a, you know, in a few days. Uh, John will put it up there. He'll put the music to it so it sounds better. And you can, again, reach me at uh, my website is birth, uh, birthinginstincts.com and uh, uh, email me at info at birthinginstincts.com or askdrstew at gmail.com. I got all kinds of ways to contact me. I do try to get your letters, and I got to at least one or two today. And then you can reach Bliss at birthingbliss.com or birthingbliss number three on Instagram. And I did want to say, Hayes and I are going to be doing a um, innate journey for birth professionals here in Los Angeles on January 3rd. It will be an all-day workshop. Um, so if you guys are wanting to learn from us, our style and what we're giving to our clients, um, just want to give a little shout out. How do they find that? Um, on Instagram, we'll be posting some Sorry, I'm Bliss Midwifery. It's at Worthing Bliss Midwifery. Okay. All right, so we'll see you all next time. Until then, again, I know that you have lots of things you could do with an hour, an hour on a Wednesday morning. At this time, uh, for those of you who are with us live, I really appreciate it. For those of you who watch later, we appreciate you just as much because there's so much stuff out there to be listening to. So thank you again for honoring us with your attention. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.